Good. Um, good to be with you again um, this morning. Um, the Unchanging God in Challenging Times is the title for your look at Nehemiah. And today we have got to Nehemiah um, chapter 8. So I'm going to uh, read um, just from the very end of uh, chapter 7. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra describes stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right stood Mattathiah, uh, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masiah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabithiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Peliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families along with the priests and the Levites gathered round Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month 
and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches uh, from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs and in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Um, uh, an assembly or an ecclesia. So good morning, Ecclesia. I presume you know why you're called Ecclesia. Um, Ecclesia was a, a Greek word in New Testament times, biblical times, for the assembly of the citizens of a city who gathered to make decisions on behalf of their city. And the church used that name for themselves, for their meetings, because their meetings were not just for private, personal spirituality, but in order that they might be an outpost of the city of God in the city of Rome or Ephesus or Thessalonica or wherever. And that's the word used in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2, verse 17, verse 18 for this great assembly. So uh, we're in Nehemiah um, and we got to this stage and before, before Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, the people who'd come back from exile had simply become a bunch of migrants in their own homeland but feeling like foreigners trying to get a foothold in the land. But now the city of Jerusalem had been rebuilt, not simply to give them a focus for their national pride or to give them security in times of trouble, but that it might be the city of God, the outpost of that future city that was again to dominate the world for the joy of all peoples. And for that, they needed not just a temple in the city, and not just walls around the city. They needed a people whose life and culture reflected that of the city of God, the new Jerusalem in heaven. So this is, this is a key chapter in which they're trying to, they've got the walls. Now they want a people who are bound together, living the life of the true city of God of God. So that's where we are. It is the seventh month, which was perhaps the most important month in Israel's calendar, a bit like um, Black History Month for many today, because it, the celebrations of this month reminded them of their great heritage, their 
special dignity as the people of God and of the great events in their history. So this chapter focuses on three gatherings in the seventh month. Um, the national gathering of all Israel on the first day of the month, which takes up the bulk of the chapter, the first 12 verses. And then um, that was to, to hear the word of the Lord. And then from verse 12, no, verse 13, um, we have a gathering of the leaders when everybody else has gone home and gone back to work. They are gathered to learn from the word of God how they were to celebrate their national history, which they were going to celebrate just in two weeks' time uh, for the Feast of the Booths. So that, that's a rough outline of where we're going. We're going to start with the first gathering on the first day of the month to hear Ezra read from the book of the law. So that's, that's the first 12 verses. Now, if the book of the law doesn't sound very exciting to you, do not think in terms of rules and regulations now. This, the book of the law is um, the, the book of God's covenant. It's a story of God's dealings with Israel. It's a story of how he chose them and how he rescued them and how he married himself to them and taught them how they were to live in order that they might be his people uh, to the praise of his name in all the earth. So what I want us to focus on here is, is just the way they engaged with the word of God. So note, first of all, verse 1, how they gathered. Um, all the people assembled, my version says one man, probably should say one person these days, but they gathered at, as one. Um, now just imagine that, lockdown is over, um, you've all had your vaccinations. It's the first Sunday where the church can gather together again. It's 11 a.m. and the whole church is there. They're not arriving in dribs and drabs for the next half hour after 11 o'clock, depending on when they wake up and how long they can sit still. They are all there as one body, and they take up the chant, we want the word, we want the word, we want the word. The Nehemiah 8 congregation had gathered from all the surrounding towns of Judah, having set off in sufficient time so that they arrived at daybreak. So what are we thinking of, about 6 o'clock in the morning? Um, I live uh, 200 meters from Charlton Athletic Football Ground. Um, I don't often go, but I had a friend who uh, was um, a fanatical supporter of a visiting team, and he asked me to go with him. And the kickoff was 3 o'clock, so I was hoping we would meet at 2.55 outside, ready to get in. But no, no, no. He said, 1.30, I want to meet you outside. He wanted to queue up, get in, make sure he got the best seat, see all the players warming up, Join in the chance. Football fans are like that. Now, um, in London today, we have a very relaxed attitude to timekeeping. I know people who habitually arrive late or um, just on time. But when there is something that is really, really important to them, they are well on time. Then let us note, uh, verses 2 and 3, 
who gathered to hear the word of God. We're told twice, verse 2 and verse 3, the assembly was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. I wonder what they were thinking of there. Everybody above the age of five or seven, um, never underestimate the intelligence of a child. Um, mind you, um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's, um, and if this, why are they gathering? See, if this book is to not simply fill the people's heads with information, but to reshape the community, reshape their hearts, their minds, their passions, their ambitions, so that as one community they may reflect the city of God, then you need everybody there, especially the next generation. Then notice, um, verse 3, how long they gave to reading the word. Ezra read it aloud from daybreak till noon. So about six hours. Um, mind you, in case you're getting worried that this will be the new standard for Ecclesia when you come back, uh, this is what Israel were commanded to do on the first day of the seventh month every seven years. Um, but this meant once every seven years, each new generation would have stood with their parents and with their neighbors as one people under the word of God at least once, maybe twice, before they reached the age of adulthood, which in those days was 12 years old. Um, these national assemblies of the word every seven years would have impressed upon them that they were especially chosen, favored people called to be the light of the world, the praise of God in all the earth. They could learn the ways of the Lord, how to live lives pleasing to the Lord, day by day, week by week, in their homes, in their synagogues. But these national assemblies where the book of the law was read from daybreak to noon would deeply impress upon them as they stood there, this huge crowd of people. Prob you're probably talking about, um, if I can work out the numbers from the previous chapter, about 50,000 people standing here. This would have impressed upon them who they were as a people, why the Lord had chosen them. And those six hours might seem a long time to most of us, those not to some of your preachers. Um, it, would, it would take about four hours to read the book of Deuteronomy, if that is what um, is being referred to here, which would leave two hours for the various breakout groups that you may have noticed took place in uh, verses 7 to 8, where um, those... Um, 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 what was it, 13 Le Levites, I can't remember how many now, was, um, would, would explain to them um, what was read so that the people could understand it. 
And then notice how they engaged with the word of God through embodied worship. So they listened, verse 3, attentively, we're told in my version, but literally in the Hebrew it is with their ears toward the book. So, you know, you just think of um, when horses hear something, the way, they, uh, the, the way they point their ears forward, their ears were towards the book. They'd put down their um, iPhones, uh, their phones, and they'd um, stop chatting with one another. Their ears were towards uh, the book. And then Ezra was on this high platform. They lifted their eyes to Ezra on the platform. And as he opened the book, they all stood to their feet. Now, they weren't instructed, as far as I know, in the word of God to do that. I presume this was their custom, or maybe just a spontaneous response of the people expressing their uh, reverence and respect. Because to hear the word of God is not about receiving information. It is about encountering the Lord in his word. And when a great one comes into your midst, most people of most cultures will stand to their feet. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, and they lifted their hands and opened their mouths and cried, Amen, Amen. Then we told they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In other words, they engaged with the word of God with their ears and eyes and hands and feet and mouths and faces. Now, there is no scriptural command saying you must do this. And as far as I can see, there's no consistent pattern in scripture. Um, sometimes people stand to pray and lift their hands to the air. Other times we find them kneeling and bowing to the ground. But everywhere, biblical worship is embodied. And in every culture, though it will be different from culture to culture, in every culture there are ways in which our hearts are expressed outwardly, bodily. The attitudes of our hearts, whether they are of reverence and joy and sorrow, or whether they are of arrogance and indifference. I am from um, a tradition shaped by repressed Englishmen where we sat to pray and we sat to hear the word read and we sat to listen to it being explained and we sat in the same seat to receive the Lord's Supper and only stood to sing and then with our hands firmly holding a book so that we stood rigidly with no bodily movement whatsoever. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean lack of reverence or enthusiasm or devotion. But since God made us to live our lives bodily, I suspect I would have been far more strongly shaped to engage with the word of God with reverence and devotion if I'd grown up in a culture where they expressed it in a more embodied manner. And I, have, I don't know about you, but I have discovered in lockdown that if I carry on um, engaging in that way, I simply become a spectator and not a participator. And then finally for this um, first day of the month, 
Um, notice their heartfelt response. All the way through the reading, verse 9, they had been weeping. Why were they weeping? Because the book of the law retold their history and in, in, you know, unusually, Israel's history was not a celebration of the great deeds of Israel, but a reminder of their persistent unbelief and unfaithfulness. Um, the book of the law reminded them that they had been called that the nations might see the beauty of living under God's word and in his presence. And yet, instead of the nations praising God, they had caused the nations to blaspheme the name of God. The book of the law recited the commands of God, which they had persistently broken. It warned of catastrophic judgments that would come upon them come upon them if they persisted in this unfaithfulness, which is just what they had so recently experienced in their history. And yet it told of the persistent faithfulness of the Lord to his people, how he would bring them back from the land of exile, as he'd so recently done, and of his ongoing purposes for them, how they were chosen to be the people for the praise of his name, which is why they'd come back to rebuild the temple and now the city, the city walls. So though there was great cause for weeping, there was even greater cause for rejoicing. And the leaders of the people are insistent that they rejoice. The end of verse 9, all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. But Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord our God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. So, um, for all the Bible's exposure of our sinfulness, there is in the Bible an even greater emphasis on the Lord's kindness, generosity, and his forgiveness to us. So, feasting dominates biblical calendars. In the Old Testament, you had three full weeks, as far as I can see, of feasting and just one day of fasting and mourning, which is, your, I think, your subject for next week in Chapter 9. I don't know if um, you celebrate Lent uh, or follow Lent in any way. I don't, I don't, do you celebrate Lent? Follow Lent in any way. But in the days when Christians fasted through Lent in order to identify with our Lord in his sufferings for them and his temptations in the wilderness, um, they did not fast on Sundays. So there are 40 days of fasting in Lent, um, uh, according to the, you know, the strict version of it. But Lent lasts for 46 days. Sundays are days for feasting, even in Lent, because on Sundays we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and our hope of being raised with him and all creation with us. So 
Sundays are for rejoicing, for the word and for the table, for hearing and feasting, for giving and receiving, that the joy of the Lord may be our strength. So, um, the unchanging God in challenging time is the God who shapes and strengthens his people by calling them to corporate, embodied engagement with the word of God. Corporate, in other words, this is not just an individualistic thinking and responding to the word of God. They gather as one man and they meet in order to hear and to understand. And it is embodied. It's not just what's happening in their heads. It's ears and eyes and mouth and hands and feet and so on. So just, just think of the difference between listening to music on Spotify and making music with your friends or of listening to music on Spotify and going to a concert or a rave. Studies have shown that corporate embedded participation in the same event binds people together and actually goes so far as to rewire their brains. So with corporate embodied engagement with the word of God, God shapes us to be a new people. Secondly, um, and I, I think, I'm hoping we might be briefer on this, but the next day, uh, the second day of the month, verse, verse 13, um, um, the leaders of the families are meeting together. As I've already mentioned, the seventh day was the most important, the seventh month was the most important month in their calendar. First day was the Feast of Trumpets. Tenth day was the Day of Atonement. Fifteenth um, day began a seven-day feast called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So as I listened to Ezra reading from the Book of the Law, they would have been especially alert to how God was calling them to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And this section in Nehemiah suggests that they had heard something that had never registered with them before. So verse 14, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem and were to go into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. And two weeks later, verses 16 and 17, we, we read how they all came to Jerusalem and they just filled Jerusalem, the courtyards, the, the, the roofs of houses with these booths and they lived in them for seven days while they celebrated um, this great feast. Now the feast was to celebrate the first night uh, the 15th day, when Israel came out of the house of Egypt, the house of oppression, 
And living in these makeshift, ramshackle booths was not a great, not a great place to live, but it was nevertheless their first experience, first taste of liberation and rest. And these people were replicating that, that night, that first night. And they could say, we are the people who lived, who lived in booze when the Lord set us free because every seven months, this is what we do. So think, think of the Lord's Supper, which is, um, you know, the great, uh, the great um, event we celebrate as a corporate body. We are saying, we are the people who feed on Christ because Jesus took bread at the Last Supper with his disciples and broke it and said, this is my body and this is what we do. So we eat it because we are one with Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. We eat it because we are participants in his history, in his death and his resurrection. So why did Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me? Why are we to reenact this last meal with his disciples? Why not just give messages on the cross and ask people to think about it? Well, it is good to hear and listen and think and meditate, but we are embodied creatures. And our engagement with our history, with the mighty deeds of God for our salvation, is to be an embodied engagement. So note verse 17 um, well. Verse 17. The whole company had returned from exile, built booths and lived in them, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. I take that to mean not that they had never celebrated the Feast of Booths since the days of Joshua, which are almost a thousand years before, but they had never done it by actually gathering together and building booths in courtyards and on the roofs of houses to live in them for seven days. I guess after the days of Joshua, they all got their own homes, they'd all got their own cities. They probably reasoned, why construct tents out of tree branches when we have homes to live in? We can still remember the Lord and what he did for us when he brought us out of Egypt and led us through the wilderness. We can still remember. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, they returned to the form of celebration laid down in the word of God not for legalistic reasons, you know, if only we get this right, God will bless us, but so that they and their children might be embodied into the story of God and so shaped by it and the salvation that they celebrated. And we read their joy was very great. So the gospel calls us not only to believe in Jesus, but to be baptized in water. And the physical act of being baptized in water is one of the keys to us knowing that we have been baptized into Christ. So it's interesting in Paul's letters, he, he doesn't say, remember when you first believed in Jesus. He 
He says, remember that you have been baptized into his death, buried with him, raised with him. And maybe um, the physical, I mean, we've had to change the Lord's Supper because of the size of our congregations and where we, be, where we meet. But in the, in the early church, when there were small gatherings in homes, they actually had a meal together from what we can make out and from what we read in history. And it was, for most of them, the best meal of the week. And maybe the physical act of sitting with one another at the Lord's table, Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, eating one loaf, drinking one cup, embedded them as one family in the story of Jesus and marked them out as a people for whom Christ gave himself and shed his blood. The unchanging God in challenging times is the God who meets his people in his word through corporate engagement so that their joy is their strength. And he celebrates with his people in their shared story through corporate embodied celebrations of his works to their great joy. Well, may the Lord soon um, end this lockdown and so our worship be embodied again. And maybe, this is a bit cheeky as a visiting preacher, but maybe in the meantime your leaders might like to meet together and think about a great biblical, corporate, embodied gathering to hear the word of God and to celebrate the works of God. Meanwhile... May the Lord bless us in his word and in his deeds. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.